Somatic talk therapy is different. Yes, there are some similarities to traditional psychotherapy. And somatic therapy can and might utilize aspects of traditional psychotherapy because somatic is from soma, which in short means body, where psych, the way therapists utilize that word, generally means mind. Psych, though, actually means soul. So the field of somatic therapy could be pictured like an umbrella, where under that umbrella is one's body, mind, and soul. Therefore, somatic therapy includes an array, a continuum, a broad spectrum, or an infinite, limitless approach to unique and individualized therapy. Non-one-size-fits-all therapy for individuals we are all unique. The sessions with you and I are rooted in deep, active listening to what your needs are, to what your wants are, based on who you are. Each person is different. For example, while seated in silent meditation might benefit one person, it might be literally torturous to another. For now, to better understand what I mean, if a person has unresolved post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, the part of their brain that is capable of meditating or has a capacity to benefit from meditation might sincerely be damaged from that PTSD and meditation might increase, say, cortisol instead of decreasing cortisol. So while meditation might be good for one, it might be harmful to another. So this process of somatic therapy, it's important to understand that there's no one-size-fits-all approach. The individual is the key. You are the key. And each session is really about you, not about a formula. We can dive deeper into this example later and down the road, this example about meditation, but it's important to understand that what might be good for one person might not be good for another. Somatic therapy is a bit different than traditional talk therapy because the so-called client, you, you are the authority. You are the expert. And the therapist is there to assist you on your journey to remember or to rediscover or to optimize what you're wanting optimized or to rejuvenate or heal something that you're wanting to be healed or rejuvenated or to build stability, etc. Somatic therapy is completely different because somatic therapy is not formulaic and psychotherapy usually is formulaic. Psychotherapy usually follows formulas, statistics, models from studies, theories, manuals, such as the Diagnostic Statistician's Manual, also known as the DSM, with a number after it, DSM-4, DSM-5, etc. Psychotherapy, generally speaking, is more about labels Diagnoses, boxes, categorizations that are leaned on and drawn from throughout treatment of the individual. Somatic therapy in almost every way is the opposite of that. Somatic therapy is a lot more about dropping the story of the past 
it's a lot less about labels, diagnoses, boxes, categorize, categorizations. And we will explore more of that and what I mean by that down the road. Somatic therapy has also something different than traditional talk therapy. Talk therapy gravitates to the past. Somatic therapy is more broadly speaking about the now. This part is complex, but to briefly explain, talking about past trauma or past traumas very often etches a deeper groove of those past traumas into a person. In somatic therapy, we won't ignore the past. We will focus on the now and lightly take one drop from what we know from the past and place that one drop into the now. But the past is generally not our focus in therapy. One way to try to explain somatic therapy is that it isn't about thoughts. Though thoughts might come up, it's more about feelings. Oftentimes I see, actually quite frequently, a pattern where it's truly not easy for people to put feelings into words. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling massive amounts of rage. I'm not feeling anything. I'm feeling numb. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling anxious. It's important to not only be able to talk about feelings, but to have a sensitivity to them or an awareness of them. When I'm feeling hateful, angry, upset, I might first notice that feeling as a sensation in, say, the soles of my feet. It might be different for you. It might be in your shoulders or in your scalp. When I'm feeling hateful or angry, I personally notice that feeling as a sensation rising up initially through the soles of my feet. Having that sensitivity and awareness might allow me a greater capacity to take the so-called reins, like I'm taking the reins of a horse, where I can take the so-called reins of that experience and guide that energy, that E-motion, E-motion means outward moving motion, E-motion, where I can guide that emotion or that feeling in a way where it doesn't harm me or others or burn bridges or say things that I won't be able to unsay, etc. People with post-traumatic stress disorder this is hard to explain briefly, but PTSD is actually, in reality, brain damage. It took about 30 years for experts on the truth of this to prove to the U.S. federal government through evidence found in magnetic imaging of the brains of military vets that PTSD is physical not emotional or psychological, it's physical. And that physical brain damage is generally in the hippocampus of the brain where language is processed. Now this is where things get complex. Language is complex. Communication is complex, and they say communication is the cornerstone of the relationship, right? So let's just explore this for a moment. The victims of trauma who have PTSD have many commonalities in how their ability to explain with words, how they're feeling has been eroded. 
literally by cortisol, which is similar to an acid that was released on mass in that trauma or traumas. And do you recall those Etch-a-Sketch games, that red Etch-a-Sketch board with that gray screen with the knobs where you can turn those knobs and sketch sketches and then you can shake that board and then they de- that shaking the board erases the sketch. Do you remember those Etch-a-Sketch boards? I'm going to use that as an example and an image for what I'm trying to talk about. In that trauma or traumas, the cortisol released from the body essentially etch-a-sketched the brain and erased a file or files. Memory of that trauma might still exist there. The, The memory might be Clear as day, it might still exist. It might not have erased the whole file, but it erased files. And part of the files that were erased stored information on how to communicate. And communication is a two-way river. So that now that person with PTSD not only has difficulty in expressing but also has difficulty in understanding. Interestingly, most of our communication is through body language. The subconscious of you and I is communicating 99% of the conversation. It doesn't really matter what words we're using. It's, It's all of the unsaid that's getting communicated. This is where... Communication is so complex. Most of our communication is through body language, sound, rhythm, pace, cadence, tonality, facial expressions, gestures. We call all of that prosody. This podcast is called Prosody Monstrosity. We call all of that communication other than the words that we're using the prosody. When you send a text, it's 100%. Maybe there could be an argument there, but let's just say for the ease of communication that a text 100% has no prosody. A text is missing all of these other parts of communication, the tonality, the facial expressions, the gestures, the sound, the rhythm, the pauses, the breath. All of that prosody. And people with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, the part of their brain that understands that complexity of the prosody of, say, how their husband or wife or boss or friend or friends or employees or employers are communicating is lost. It's lost on them. It doesn't compute. And that person cannot compute back and they can't understand the computation The communication, that cornerstone of the relationship is in some ways crumbled. It needs to be rebuilt. It needs to be restabilized. It needs to be enhanced. There has to be attention placed there. Similarly, recovering from addictions can look like this too. And addictions are so complex, so we're just touching the tip of the iceberg here. We know that underlying the addiction is usually unresolved trauma or trauma is still being healed, still being processed. 
What I do want to say here about somatic therapy is that sometimes there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done just in our own life, just with keeping our home in order and our dishes clean and our selves fed. There's just a lot of work to be done. And one thing I want to say about the difference in somatic therapy and psychotherapy is that there's a lot of work to be done. How do we make it fun? How do we make it enjoyable? Some of it might involve a little bit of anxiety. The parts of it that feel anxiety-inducing, we try to only take one little drop of that at a time. Overall, somatic therapy should be enjoyable, fun, and for each person, that's going to be different. And I'm going to give examples of that later in this podcast. What what an example of that would look like to two completely different clientele. So in an overview of what somatic therapy is, in this non-formulaic, non-one-size-fits-all approach to working together with individuals, is that each individual, you, each individual, you, you're the priority. And each individual, you, you will show up to a session differently each day. A session, if you are exhausted, compared to a session, if you are amped up and wide awake, will be two completely different sessions. Similarly, if you arrive to a session, say, grieving the loss of a loved one, that session will be completely different to one where you feel all is well. In a very real way as the therapist, even if I were to have 2,000 years worth of wisdom and knowledge, none of that really matters because the most important thing is this. It's you. It's the person who walks into the session that day. You. Now, with that being said, somatic therapy is an exploration of how to optimize you. Under that umbrella, there's almost infinite branches to explore. And there's a process of assessing what branches are the ones that light you up, that are part of your voca, voca calling. I love the word vocation, voca. Voca, vocation, it's different than a job. Voca comes from calling. So what branch would light you up that's part of your voca or calling? Or the branch that's part of your desire? Desire comes from the word, the star you, the star you are following, the star you are seeking, desire. So what branch is your desire? What branches are your desires? What branches are part of your calling? Part of your reason to be. And if you're not sure what your calling is, then we'll explore how to either discover that or how to maybe even remember it. Or maybe it's many callings. And maybe there's something specific that you already know that you want to optimize. Then we will use investigation derived from somatic lineages and principles and modern and ancient pathways. Like we'll use these like borders on either side of a river to allow you to flow in the way and pace and depth that your soul is wanting you to flow. It might be something physical going on, inflammation, disease. It might be something career-wise. Maybe it's something marriage or relationship-related or something with your parents or your children relationships. 
It might be a goal, sports or fitness related. It might be some grief work or addiction recovery or PTSD recovery or narcissism recovery. Somatic therapy is broad. Under that umbrella, there's a myriad of wells we are loosely or more specifically drawing water resource from. These wells are some of the providing resources that are part of what's feeding the bigger picture of the container. Anatomy and physiology, sociology and psychology, martial arts, yoga, massage, fitness, diet, nutrition, kinesiology, family, friends, careers, spirituality, religion, all of those things are underneath the somatic therapy umbrella. And each one of us has our unique desires, vocations, passions, the things that light us up, the different branches to go down. For one, it might be rock climbing. Another person, it might be painting. Another person, it might be all sorts of things. Another person just might need to optimize their diet or like we were saying earlier, find a way to heal an injury that's not healing at the rapid rate that it should. Somatic therapy is not based in statistics or theories. It's a deep exploration and a deep listening and active listening to allow an individual to optimize their life. The individual is the exception to the rule. The individual is the outlier to the norm. While traditional talk therapy takes a more bell curve statistical approach, somatic therapy is about you, the unique individual. So it's hard to explain. I can imagine it's not easy to quickly explain who you are. There are some sessions with some clients that especially stand out. The ones where no training or schooling or formula would have taught to do this. <laughs> and these are the ones that are fun to tell as stories, as an example of the infinite directions therapy can take. The difficult thing to explain, the part that sounds like mojo or the part that's hard to explain is, is the part that's hard to explain because it's a feeling. One of my favorite quotes is from Emanuel Swedenborg, a mystic from Sweden, from Stockholm, Sweden, from the late 1700s. And the saying is, faith is the feeling when you know something is true. Faith is the feeling when you know something is true. In a session with you or with a client, there's a two-way river of two strangers getting to know each other feeling safe with each other. And some of a somatic therapy session includes a container of just establishing certain safety protocols so that if something comes up that you or that the client has a pre-established exit route, a way to let me know that they're safe if something did come up. Imagine if a client 
went through a massive trauma and imagine a massive catharsis in healing from that trauma, it sometimes can be like a hurricane or an electrical storm, and sometimes it's a series of those. This is another one of these topics that could be a podcast in itself, the whole conversation of catharsis. I want to just tell a little story because stories are fun to hear and to tell and we'll just give an example of one session with one client after certain safety protocols were established and once the container was understood I was sitting across from a client one day and he was a young man young very strong man from Los Angeles And he had come to a very, very protected, private place, a treatment center. It was a high-end treatment center for people, generally speaking, who had lots of money. And this young man came to this treatment center and he explained to me that he was there for his own safety, that he was the second highest member of a gang. I'm not going to say the gang. He was the second highest member of that gang. And due to living a life of a gang member and all of the things that entailed, eventually the dangerousness was uh, something he had to escape from to save his own life. And I asked him in session, what is the optimal outcome of working together? What, What would be his optimal outcome? Some people don't have an answer for that, but some people do. So I like to ask right away. And he said, I would like to feel the way I felt when I was eight years old. We explored that for a little bit, and the short part of that exploration was that he wanted to feel that sense of vulnerability, innocence, broadness of his vision. His life at this point in adulthood was a type of fight, flight, tunnel vision, It was the cause and effect of him having done many bad things in his life. So all sorts of uh, guilt. His soul had a lot of baggage of guilt, regret, shame, call it karma. And there was a lot weighing him down and... He's in hiding and he was essentially saying in short that he wants to feel again, that he wants to have feelings. And I'm not going to label anyone. I'm not going to put a diagnosis on them. And if, if we were looking at what he was telling me through his words and body language, a traditional psychotherapist might have labeled him a sociopath someone without feelings for others. And here's this young man telling me that he wants to have feelings again. Oftentimes in a one-on-one session in person, we'll start with a brief grounding meditation to just orient to the present moment. For instance... Today is February 6th, 2022, and just notice the environment you're in. Notice, just look around, look at where the doors are, notice the ceiling, notice what's on the ceiling, notice the lighting, are there ceiling fans, notice where the heat or air conditioning is, hear the sounds of what's in the building, the refrigerator or the 
the poppings and clickings of the heater or air conditioning unit. Look around and see where the windows are and recognize the time of day it is and how the lighting is or isn't coming through those windows if there are windows. Observe what art or lack of art is on the walls and the color of the walls and the state of the room. Is it in order? Is it in disorder? And that meditation then becomes something a little bit more internal about all of that external awareness becoming more internal, placing your awareness in your feet and your the way your feet feel in your shoes. And if it suits you, <clears throat> if it suits you, either keep your eyes open or close your eyes. And at this point in the interview, this client interrupted, which is fine. It's absolutely great. One of the things I love working with people and unique individuals is really to encourage them to feel empowered in this session's about them, not about me. So even at this point, if this meditation was highly irritating them, and <laughs> I would like to know. I want them to communicate. We're building language and communication. We're, we're essentially building uh, appropriate relationships to one's own feelings and how to communicate and express their wants and needs and the things that scare them and the things that they're afraid of and the things that are making them anxious and how can they express these things appropriately to their loved ones and friends and family and bosses and that that old adage that communication is the cornerstone how can they communicate in an empowered prosody that feels good to be around where it just feels good to be around that person where they they are attractive magnetic and at this point when i said if it suits you feel free to close your eyes or not. He said to me, I will never close my eyes in front of a stranger. I will never close my eyes in front of someone else ever. And a side of him came out that was kind of scary at that moment. And this is the quick story of working with a client over the course of about five sessions and my approach to working with people is generally speaking one where I hope within a less is more amount of visits I can give them everything that they need from me and send them on their way on their journey with everything that I could possibly give to them that will help them. And so there were five sessions with this person and every single session involved him blindfolded with his eyes with his eyes closed in front of me and that Sounds a little bit even anxiety producing to say that out loud. And it only gets more fun from there. Imagine this very tough thug gang member who could just rip me to shreds. Uh, I practice a martial art, which is really the practice of deep, relaxation, breathing, body structure, and how to move the body. But the most primordial thing you're practicing in this martial art is relaxation. And to explain quickly, if a person is relaxed, if I'm relaxed, it's pretty safe to assume I'm not gonna, going to attract tension that if someone's looking for a fight and I'm completely relaxed in in a very real way, not that I'm invisible, 
It's just I'm not really going to be what their subconscious is seeking. If someone wants a fight and if they're tense, they're looking for that harmonic or that tension. They're looking for a fighter. They're looking for something to fight. And if a person's a relaxed person, they're going to be more invisible in a way. And so martial arts, the version of martial arts I practice is called Sistema. It's a Russian martial art. And I don't ever prescribe these one-size-fits-all things. Sistema has been very important to me, but I've also been lucky to have studied under at least a couple really amazing teachers for brief periods of my life, and I hope to study under more. But I've also gone to Sistema classes that were much more different than that, where maybe the teacher wasn't there and maybe a substitute teacher was and maybe the class wasn't really steeped in the fundamentals of relaxation, things like that. That's a side note. But I have to say all of this because the relaxation part is key. And much of much of the breakthroughs in our life have to do with that relaxation while holding structure. So it's not always just about relaxing into a raggedy and all. It's about having structure, having something that's stable and supportive with the paradox of relaxation. One of my favorite quotes, which I think is also representative of somatic therapy is, where stability and vulnerability meet, that is the oasis in the desert. Where stability and vulnerability meet, that is the oasis in the desert. And the oasis in the desert is the spring, the spring, the elixir of life, the vitality, the spring, the fountain flowing inside you. And when that spring or that fountain is flowing inside of you, in a very real way, life becomes effortless. And I think that's oftentimes when someone says, I want to feel the way I felt when I was eight years old. They're saying, I want to feel that combination of vulnerability and stability where there's a spring flowing inside and I just have that vitality and energy and a spring is like a youthful, ever-flowing elixir. And for that spring to flow, there's a paradox of something stable where vulnerability and stability meet. That's the oasis in the desert. There's something stable and there's something vulnerable. The relaxed part, the relaxed part is something vulnerable. The stable part is the structure of the person. So my next therapy session with this specific client was just him standing in a very stable way on his own feet with the paradox of deep relaxation with a blindfold on with me in a very relaxed martial artist way slugging him in his diaphragm when he's not ready for it <laughs> and it sounds very funny to say his eyes have no visual of when he's going to get punched his belly is completely relaxed and there's going to be a strike in his belly when he's not ready for it. Now, this is terrifying if you're the person with a blindfold on. And in order to hold that relaxation and be that vulnerable and willing to let a stranger punch you in the stomach when you're not ready for it takes a lot of trust, a lot of letting go. And this session was a one-of-a-kind session. It's nothing I would maybe ever do again on somebody. It's nothing that would ever have been taught. And this is the part that's hard to explain about somatic therapy is that when it's a non-one-size-fits-all approach and when it is geared towards the individual, I could tell an exact opposite story of that, of a client coming into the office and having gone through a really difficult day, and I know that the client was in a place where being in an office and talking and breathing and, and 
doing anything would be overwhelming. And through conversation and discovery and exploration, rather immediately in that visit meant we just went on a walk. And little talk and more of a focus on the surrounding environment, pointing out different plants and edible plants and tasting them and smelling them and feeling them and getting to know just the environment. Because of course, our environment is an extension of us. So that session with that client on that day where I'm punching one man in the stomach, the very next client was going on a walk and touching plants and smelling plants and tasting plants and taking the focus off of the individual themselves and placing the attention on the environment. And wonderfully, both of those clients, one of them wrote me a very amazing letter and explained just how important it was that I took her on a walk that day and didn't focus on her. <laughs> and the the client that was blindfolded, it only got more and more miraculous from that point onward working together to where that eight-year-old boy was there again, looking out from his eyes. This shift in who was there on day one compared to who was there on day five was a miracle. And that miracle has nothing to do with me and the part that is hard to explain to people and the part of my training and experience and the, the training and the experience coming together into seeing a pattern that repeats itself over and over is a type of light or call it goosebumps, chicken skin, a feeling. Faith is the feeling when you know something's true. So part of the exploration of ascertaining who you are involves questions and going down different branches of questions. And as you talk and as you speak and as you communicate to me, it's a bit of a process of when I feel lit up from the inside, like lightning bolts are going off inside me. And then that inner light causes goosebumps and chicken skin. That goosebumps, chicken skin, inner light guides the session. And so it's not me. It's just me asking questions based on my training and experience and the whole session is guided by this other magical thing. Call it goosebumps, chicken skin, inner light that then allows me to ask the next question. And sometimes those goosebumps and chicken skin and inner light come through a very clear vision of where to guide that river and that flow. And with that client who said he would never close his eyes in front of anyone. It was a very, very clear feeling that I could have a hundred percent faith in pursuing. And same with the next client who walked into the session, who through a, a pretty quick assessment, we decided to walk outside, get out of the office, and explore wild and edible plant life growing around that desert area. So somatic therapy is unique. There's no one-size-fits-all approach. It's, it's just different. And with the client where I was relaxedly punching him in his diaphragm, that then turned into other really fun, outdoor, blindfolded, experiential explorations of him navigating areas outside with his other senses other than his eyes and navigating pathways and roadways and, and fields with his 
other senses other than his eyes. And we are beings of feelings. We are sensory beings. And somatic awareness is really a process of becoming more ripe. I like to talk about a ripe mango fruit hanging on a mango tree. That big, ripe, juicy mango might very easily experience bruising because it's ripe. Picture that big, ripe, heavy mango and compare it to a mango that will not ripen for at least two months. That smaller, harder, not ripe mango. That smaller, harder, not ripe mango is a lot more tense. It's a lot less sensitive. It's not going to bruise very easy. And so somatic experiencing similar to a mango is paradoxical. The mango is ripe, heavy, juicy. It bruises easy, but it's very sensitive. And somatic experiencing is essentially, quintessentially, a practice of ripening, optimizing, and for each person, that's very, very different. If if one person is a phenomenal Olympic athlete, an Olympic wrestler, or if someone is a UFC, ultimate fighting challenge fighter, compared to someone say who's elderly and at the end chapters of their life in the golden years of their life and let's say the elderly person has surgeries and disease and grief compared to the person who's in the golden summertime years of their physical strength it's going to be two completely different sessions. And that makes sense, obviously. I don't think I need to explain that any further. While you probably will not get punched in the stomach by me, and we might not be able to go out on a nature walk together, there are infinite possible fun, exciting branches to explore together. And somatic therapy is really not easy to explain because it's experiential. It's about feelings and it's about optimizing who you are. And I don't know who you are. So how can I explain what somatic therapy is? Because it's not about me. It's about you. I really hope today's podcast was enjoyable. I hope it broadened your possibilities. I believe that we are here to expand the depth of meaning in our own experiences and to have meaningful, deeply meaningful lives. And part of that depth of meaning is experiential inside our own self, inside our own heart and breath and how we feel. And, and within that, going deep inside, there's a limitless. Another one of my favorite sayings is nothingness nothingness has no limits and therefore it's everything. And so another difficult part of somatic experiencing is that it's a deeper, it's a deep exploration of going inside yourself to even have a moment of nothingness where there's no thoughts. And in that feeling where thoughts are no longer there, 
to go so deep into one's own feeling, one's own body, one's own self, that one realizes that there's this nothingness there. We know through physics that there's more nothing than there is something. We know that when you look at an atom, it's mostly space. So we know that there's more nothing than there is something. And a lot of somatic experiencing is paradoxical because it's about going into that nothingness. And, and it might be explained in the way that of stillness, of if you look at a lake or an ocean, when it's nice and calm and peaceful, how it reflects the whole sky. So it becomes this infinite, infinite experience. And so a lot of somatic experiencing is, is about building one's capacity to hold more feeling, more meaning, to, to be so still that that stillness can reflect more of the universe and be more expansive. And once we start talking about that, part of it, it's hard to talk about that part of it. There's a couple ways to follow this in another deeper way. One of those is to email me if you'd like to have one-on-one -on -one individualized therapy sessions over the phone or over video chat you can reach out to me by email and my email is three things t h r e e t h i n g s three things spelled out at protonmail.com three things at protonmail protonmail is p r o t o n m a i l.com once again, that's three things at protonmail.com. T H R E E T H I N G S at protonmail.com. You can also follow an Instagram page which is called Southern Samadhi. And I will spell that out Southern S O U T H E R N underscore. Samadhi. Samadhi is S-A-M-A-D-H-I. Southern Samadhi. Southern means warm, energetic. Samadhi means when you dissolve into the oneness and experience pure consciousness. Southern Samadhi. And each post on there is a beautiful visual with a little bit of a written explanation of ways to experience that oneness. There will be more podcasts and have a wonderful day.